Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. We're going to pray for us, and then after I pray, we'll listen to the text together. So pray with me if you would. Guide us, O God, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, listen to the book that we love from Isaiah 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. With the rod of his mouth he shall strike the earth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, I saw in the style section of the New York Times one day an article entitled, The Pleasures of the Lux Advent Calendar. The writer had put together shopping recommendations for luxury high-end advent calendars, and among them were a whole assortment of, of luxury goods for the luxury goods for the elite shoppers. So there was from a uh, there was from a place in England a a four hundred and eighty dollar set of lotions and creams for your personal your personal beautification there was a $500 Danish advent calendar from an artisan candle maker 
There was an advent calendar that the style writer advertised from Tiffany and Company that you can customize with the jewelry of your choice for anywhere from tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars for that special person in your life. And there was even a lingerie advent calendar by a company called Hanky Panky. <laughs> I chuckled at that. And as I read that article, I thought to myself, you know, people often expect people like me to denounce this kind of materialistic indulgence during this time of the year. And certainly, selfish excess, hundreds of thousands of dollars for jewelry, advent calendars from Hanky Panky, they probably miss the point of Christmas a bit. But at the same time, Christians believe that the arrival of Jesus in the world is good news for this material creation, this flesh and blood life that is shot through with pain and injustice and violence and death. And so there is a way in which people who are followers of Jesus ought to be, in fact, the most materialistic people in the world. In the sense that we care in a deep and abiding way for this world. The Christmas good news, it ought to make us, in the ways that matter, more materialistic and not less. That's what we'll see as we reflect together on the cadences of this ancient piece of poetry and prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. So I want to invite you simply to, to reflect on these ancient words together with me for a few minutes this morning, and to do so with an ear for how Isaiah depicts the king that's coming for this world and the kingdom that God's bringing into this world. The king and then the kingdom. Isaiah begins by depicting a shoot of new growth growing from a dead stump. This is an image that he uses to describe the, the line of King David among the Jewish people. David's various children and relatives, they had, they had turned their back on God. And so, so the line of King David, it, it seemed to the Jewish people like a dead stump, dead as their, as their hopes in life generally. But Isaiah depicts that there would be this moment where there'd be this surprise generation that sprouts new life. He gives us this image to depict a long-promised king who would be a son of David, great David's greater son, as the Christmas carols puts it, that God would work through to put the world that he made right once and for all, to repair its brokenness and to fill it with justice. This poetic vision, it gives us a picture of God breaking into the world that's good news for the whole world, and in particular, that is good news for the weak, the vandalized, and the powerless, who otherwise are without help in the world that we know. The arrival of this king will be good news 
for everybody who lives at the bottom of the totem pole in our world. That's what Isaiah announces here. As he describes this king, he, he describes seven gifts of God's spirit that would characterize him in which, in which strength and goodness and wisdom are all married together. This promised king, the root of Jesse, would exhibit in the, in the words of an ancient Christian pastor named Ambrose, all the fullness of virtue. Now, to, to really experience those promises and the way that the ancients would have heard them, we need to step into their world a little bit. Like the world that we live in today, the ancient world was deeply socioeconomically stratified. There were a few very powerful and wealthy people in the world, and then there were an awful lot of poor people, an awful lot of, of helpless people, and an awful lot of people who lived in squalor. But the difference between that world and, and this, at least for those of us who live in the, in the, in the western part of the world today, is that there was, no, there was no social safety net for people in the ancient world. There were, there were no commonly adhered to laws that you had recourse to if you were taken advantage of in the ancient world. And so, in particular, if, if you were someone who was poor, if you were a servant or a slave, if you were someone who was helpless in the ancient world, your fate in life depended largely on what the king that you lived under was like. And so if you, if you lived under, under an unjust or greedy or power-hungry or temperamental king, there was no help for you in the world. Your hopes in life depended on whether or not the king that you lived under was just or unjust, was wise or foolish. Isaiah here is promising that there would one day be a king that God would act through who would be the king that the world so often has longed for and never yet experienced. Uh, as we trace out the story of God's work in the world, the marvelous mystery that comes into full relief is that God would address the injustice of the world by entering it and by being willing to suffer it. And in so doing, God would undo it once and for all. God would once and for all, in the words of Isaiah, judge the poor, not in, a, not in the punitive sense, but in the restorative sense. God would step in for the poor of the world by becoming the poor of the world. God would once and for all stand up for the meek, the powerless of the world by himself experiencing what it is to be powerless in an infant life. God would step into the world to rescue this material creation by taking up the stuff of the material creation and entering into a human life. Nobody else actually says this, that the living God of the universe to rescue the poor and powerless of the world becomes the poor and powerless. God, to right injustice once and for all, would do so by experiencing injustice and absorbing into himself the very worst of our violence and wickedness and death. 
on a Roman cross. We should have listened to how N.T. Wright, who's one of the world's leading biblical scholars, puts this. He says, he says, on the cross of Jesus, the living God took the fury and violence of the world onto himself, suffering massive injustice, and yet refusing to lash out with threats or curses. Jesus exhausted the underlying power of evil when he died under its weight, refusing to pass it on or keep it in circulation. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of a world in which a new type of justice is possible, to work for a healing, restorative justice, whether in individual relationships and international relations or anywhere in between, is therefore a primary Christian calling. Every Christian is called to work at every level of life for a world in which reconciliation and restoration are put into practice. And so to anticipate the day when God will indeed put everything to rights. What I hope you hear in those words is that if you're a Christian, this is the king that you follow. You follow a king who cares for this world, this material world. If you follow King Jesus, the king who loves the poor so much that he became the poor, the king that loves the world so much that he suffers for the world, you will come to share in Jesus' heart for the world as well. These words, they show us that nobody ought to care more deeply for this material world than people who are shaped by the Christmas gospel. And so I want to invite you to, to consider you know, for, for your own life, what might it look like for you to actually practice a more materialistic Christmas this year? To, in your own life, move toward, in, in the name of Jesus, uh, the pains of the world that we call home, of the county, the city that we call home. Yeah, you know, I was had a proud pastor moment this past week. I was in a was in a meeting with several different leaders that I've been invited to by a man who was a, a part of our community. He's the headmaster of one of the one of the main private schools in the area. And he was describing a new project that that he had he had pioneered at the school to open a new a new campus in the Tamarind corridor of West Palm Beach. It's one of the one of the most impoverished, one of the most needy places in our in our area. And he described when he had come here to become the headmaster of the school a couple of years prior connecting with some ministry partners in the in the Tamarind neighborhood who are also ministry partners of ours here at First Perez and and being so deeply moved by the by the needs there by the by the lack of access to basic education that the vast majority of of children experience there that he went back to his board and he said listen we we know we have all kinds of things to work on at this school we know our school is are already bursting at the seams. Uh, we know doing this project will never make us money. Uh, we know opening a school in this community, it will never be able to pay for itself. He said, listen, we're, we're Christians. This is an issue of justice. And we just can't not do anything. Friends, this is what it looks like to follow the king who comes for this world. It means when, when you look at, when you look at the world and when you look at our own backyard and we 
We hear its cries. We hear, we hear the pain. It means being people who say, we can't not do anything. Because we belong to a God who has responded to the injustice and cries of the world by saying, I can't not do anything. Now, I hope that you listen to that instinct as well. If you're somebody for whom you're, you're with us and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're here with a friend or, or kind of stopped back into church because it's December after all. I know, I know just interacting with many of you over the years, there are, there are an awful lot of people for whom you, you care deeply about, about people who live in third world countries having access to clean water and to basic nutrition, basic, uh, basic medical care. You, you care deeply that children have access to education no matter the color of their skin or their address or their place on the socioeconomic ladder. You care deeply that women are not taken advantage of by men. And you care about, a, about all, all sorts of things like this. And yet, you also live inside of a, a, a story of the world that says that life ultimately is devoid of meaning. And one and the same time, you, you have this instinct that says, I, I can't not do something about this. And that, and that life ultimately is without meaning. And you don't know what to do with that. I hope you listen to these words because the Christian story would tell you, the Christmas good news says that that instinct lives inside of you because you are made by and made for a God who has heard the cries of a broken world and then Jesus responded by saying, I can't not do something. So for all of us who follow King Jesus, we follow a king whose heart breaks for this world. Second, I want to invite you to to look at the picture of the kingdom that God promises for this world as well. There's this expansive vision here of a healed creation that we heard sung so beautifully by the choir just a little bit ago. It's this future in which predation and harm and death itself are now undone. Isaiah pictures here that even in the animal world, that relationships of hostility and threat and violence will simply not be anymore. I don't know what this means for those of us who love brisket and uh, foods that come from animals, but this is the picture of this glorious future that awaits God's world. In the beginning of the biblical story, the human beings turn their back on God and the distortion of our relationship with God, it also distorts our relationships with each other and then distorts our relationship with the world. Here, because of the root of Jesse, there's this transformation in humans' relationships and also the healing of the cosmos itself. And so Isaiah pictures this great day when every inch of reality will be soaked through with God's life and glory and beauty. He says there will be a day when harm and destruction will be things of the past and the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. Now, where we stand in 2022, Jesus, this promised root of Jesse, he's come. But this half of Isaiah's vision is not yet here. We live between the halves of this great vision, between the beginning of it and the end of it. 
one of the most famous depictions of Isaiah's, of Isaiah's vision here of this kingdom of peace and justice was painted by a 19th century artist and minister named Edward Hicks. It's called the Peaceable Kingdom. I brought up an image of it you can see on the screens here. Hicks was a Philadelphian in the, in the early days of the, of, the, of the colonial expansion of Europeans into North America, and he painted this picture, this vision from Isaiah, some 62 times over the course of his life. And he painted his own contemporary world into it. You see on the right-hand side of the painting the various, the various animals pictured by Isaiah. And then on the left, if you look, you see in the background, there's, there's European colonialists in fruitful dialogue and peaceful exchange with Native Americans. But over the decades of his life, as he painted this painting over and over and over again, he grew, to, he grew to be discouraged by the ongoing violence and injustice that he saw in the world around him. And so if you compare this version of this painting with later ones that he did in the later stages of his life, he began to paint the predators in this painting more aggressively, more ferociously. Their fangs are bared and their claws are out. And I think that there's something honest about that. Because we still very much live in a fangs bared, claws out kind of a world. And so while we, con- while we follow the king who has come for this world, we, we still wait for the day when this kingdom will become reality. And it's true enough that in the moment that we call our own, we as as first world Americans, we are fairly allergic to waiting, aren't we? I chuckled at this listening to a bit by a stand-up comedian named Ronnie Chang last week. He's a, he's a fascinating comedian. He was born in Singapore, grew up in Malaysia and in the U.S., he worked in Australia for a while, and, and now, now does stand-up here in the U.S. And uh, he, uh, he was needling a bit at our, our American excess and impatience. And he did a whole bit on, on Amazon's Prime service, in which they now offer same-day delivery. And he said, listen, that's un-American. That's not nearly fast enough. He said, I want Prime now. I want to be able to hit buy and have someone put the box in my hand right now. And I kid you not, no sooner did I watch that bit than I was scrolling through the news on my phone the next day and I saw in a tech magazine an announcement from Amazon that they expect by 2024 to roll out a service called Prime Air, which is a new drone delivery service. This is a technology, I kid you not, that they're developing with the goal of being able to deliver customers' purchases to their homes within 30 minutes of being ordered. And so, in this season, in which followers of Jesus take up the practice of Advent waiting, of learning to look for God's kingdom, to long and ache for this great day, it's awfully easy for us to simply, for us to simply live in shallow distraction by, by that other promised future full of consumer drone strikes to deliver me my, my pens and my dog food and my gadgets at a moment's notice. So I want to encourage you to to enter into the practice of waiting, of holy longing and looking for this great day, for the day of the kingdom. 
Advent rouses us from our shallow consumer distraction. It, it trains us to long for this day. This day when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. And so, as we long for that day to become the kind of people who learn to bear the heart of the king who came for this world. And so First Presbyterian Church, May you, this season, as we look for the kingdom, may you come to have a more materialistic Christmas because you come to follow the king that came for this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnpb.org.